put your mind to rest while listening as I read a story. A story full of adventure and fun. Feel yourself sinking into your pillow. Take a deep breath. Breathe it out. And count from three, two, one. Relax completely. In this episode, I'm going to be reading chapter 23. September 25, Kate Warren's House, 8th Street, Washington. Sarah looked around the two rooms that Kate Warren occupied on 8th Street and wondered how she could ever have thought them spacious. They were only two rooms, and after the house on 16th Street, they seemed cramped. But Kate was happy here. She remembered, too, envying Kate's independence the first time she'd visited. Kate's bed had been unmade yet in the mid-afternoon. And that in itself was a sign of independence to Sarah. At home, an unmade bed in the middle of the day would earn her a cuff from her father. It was a sign of being slovenly and no count to Isaac Wheelock. To Sarah, Kate's unmade bed was a sign of the very freedom she was after. Your face is flushed, Kate said, as she put the water on the stove for tea. And you say you've had this headache? How long now? Two days? Yes, I wish I had some penny royal tea and other remedies we had at home. I can't give you a powder for your head. Kate offered. I'd like that, Sarah said, but I'll save it to take tonight when I go to bed. Why did she have the feeling that Kate was talking, that Kate was taking her measure, even as she set out the blue cups and saucers, the sugar and cream, and the cake Sarah had brought from her. So, you've got something important to ask me? Kate said. Yes, Sarah smiled. I need your advice. 
a woman's advice. And you're the only friend I have here in Washington. Kate smiled and sat down at the small table. You poor little wretch. That's some assignment you got for your first job. That woman is a handful. So, I've been told. I don't know if I could have done the job you did, Sarah. Thank you. Coming from Kate, it meant a lot for Sarah to hear that. Kate poured the tea and Sarah sat for a while, inhaling its fragrance. Then she minded that Kate was waiting for her to speak. It's about Sheldon, she said. Kate kept her face straight. How is the cock of the rock? I caught him the other night in Rose's arms. Kate near choked on her tea. You didn't. I did. Sarah told of the incident, of what had gone on between them, and the telling seemed to release some of the pain in her head. Thing is, Kate, I don't know what to do. I know he was just promoted in the Sturgis Rifles, but I saw him take the note from her, and I've seen him take others in the past. Do I tell Mayor Allen? You've got to, Kate said. Sarah nodded and bowed her head, hoping Kate wouldn't see the tears in her eyes. I hope it's the right thing to do, Kate, she said softly. In a moment, Kate knew. She set down her cup and reached her hand across the table to take Sarah's hand. Don't tell me, you're smitten with him too, she said. And when Sarah did not answer, she got up and came around to her side of the table to hug her. Sarah cried then. Washington is the same as home, she thought while she let the tears roll silently down her face as Kate held her close. As long as nobody gave me sympathy at home, I could take anything. I'd have gone on forever at Rose's house as long as nobody knew my secret and gave me sympathy. But once I get kindness and caring, I'm a helpless heap of nothing. After a moment, Sarah dried her eyes. Thank you. And to Kate's inquiry of whether she was all right, she assured her, yes. Kate went back and sat down. Does he have feelings for you? She asked. He said he loved me, Sarah admitted. Do you believe him? After a fashion I do, 
and after a fashion, I don't. I thought he might be saying it just to get my trust, so I tell him my real reason for working there. Smart girl, you didn't tell him, did you? No. But I'm so confused now, Kate. I understand, Kate said. And she said it with such firmness that Sarah knew it to be true. But what I don't understand is why you have to ask me about turning him in. Sarah bit her lower lip until it hurt. Because I hate him now, Kate. After seeing him in Rose's arms, I hate him for it. And I don't know if I'm going to turn him in because of that or because I should. How am I supposed to know the way I feel? Kate nodded solemnly. First thing you do, she advised briskly, is not confide any of this to Major Allen. He'll start to think woman can't do the job. Sarah nodded, agreeing. Second, you go to him and tell him what you saw, the facts you saw with your eyes. Let him decide about Sheldon. It isn't your decision to make, but it is your obligation to tell and leave your personal feelings out of it. Can you do that? Yes. Sarah said, good girl, whatever happens, happens, but you'll have the consolation of knowing you did your job. And what if Sheldon isn't with Rose? Sarah asked. What if this is part of some role he's playing? Then you've still done your job, and if he's any kind of soldier, He'll understand it and respect it once he finds out what your job is. There's just one thing, Kate, Sarah said. What if he doesn't ever find out? What if I can never tell him? Again, Kate Warren looked at her straight in the eyes. And... In those eyes, Sarah saw the answer before she gave voice to the words. Then, you've still done your job, Sarah Wheelock, as you have sworn to do it. And by heaven, in this town, in these times, that ought to count for something. September 25 to 26, back at Fort Greenhow, Washington. Sarah stopped at the confectioner's on the way home, picked up some cake and sent a message to Mr. Pinkerton through Iris about Captain Sheldon. It occurred to her when she wrote it out that she did not even know Sheldon's first name. His initials were N. F. She had never heard him addressed by anything but Sheldon, 
and he seemed to prefer it. On the way home, she pondered what his first name might be. Neil? Nathan? Maybe it was Newton. She ran all the men's names that began with N through her head and decided she liked none of them. But it kept her mind off what she had just done and of the throbbing of her poor head and the chills she was feeling. She put her aches and pains down to nervous exhaustion. Dr. Hammond would know what to do for her. Oh, if only she could see his kindly face. Then, as she neared the house on 16th Street, the sight of which had started lately to fill her with dread, she determined she would ask for a whole day off soon and get permission to visit Dr. Hammond. Her job here was just about completed. She wondered how Dr. Hammond was doing at his hospital. There had been no more battles since that first one, although there was rumour of battle every day. Her life in the army seemed like it had been lived by someone else to her now. Her life at home in Michigan seemed like it had happened in the last century. Sheldon looked pale and near trembling when she went into the house. Little Rose is sick, he told Sarah. I've sent for a doctor. What's wrong? Fever and rash. Lizzie Fitzgerald is looking after her. Don't visit her until the doctor determines what's wrong. You know, Lizzie's mother died of typhoid. I'm hoping she didn't bring it into the house. At the thought of Sheldon's concern for her welfare, Sarah was appalled at the message she had just sent to Pinkerton. She wanted to run from the handsome young captain, but she made herself face him, and she wondered, was there no end to the bad things that happened in this house? Does Mrs. Greenhow need me? She asked Sheldon. No, she's quiet for the moment. We're to avoid her as much as possible. Sarah orders. She is to be isolated and I'm sorry but that means you too. Sarah felt almost an electric field on the floor between them. Sheldon was giving her long, intense looks and she could not abide it. I've a headache myself, she told him. I'm going to my room to lie down. Please knock on my door if Rose needs me. She took the powder for her head and it relieved the headache in time. But her chills persisted. 
she wished she was home, for there would be the remedies she needed. If Ben came down with such symptoms, she'd give him a blood tonic besides the penny royal tea, but she had no such herbs here. With the late afternoon September sun coming in her window, she fell into a light sleep. She dreamed of Ben, of her mother. Her sister Clarice was at the kitchen table, sobbing. And then the door of the kitchen opened, and her father came in and announced that Clarice's husband was dead, that he had died of wounds received in the Battle of Bull Run. She awoke with a start, perspiration dripping down her face and neck. Someone was knocking on her door, and though she was fully awake, someone was still sobbing. Sheldon stood outside her door. Rose is carrying on something fierce with the doctor, he said. She's having high words with him. Little Rose is crying. Can you come? She followed him down the hall. The sense of her dreams, the taste of them, the presence of her kinfolk still more real to her than her prison surroundings. Just outside the door to little Rose's room, Sheldon put his hand on her arm restraining her from entering. In little Rose's room stood a portly man in an official-looking uniform with a bushy beard. This is Dr. Stewart, Sheldon said. Doctor, this is Mrs. Greenhow, her personal maid and confidant, Sarah Dawson. The doctor nodded at her. Perhaps you will be good enough then, Miss Dawson, to tell this lady that I'm not going to harm her child. Rose was standing between him and little Rose, who lay on the bed, her face flushed with fever. Perhaps you will be good enough, she told Sarah, to ask this vulgar uneducated man bedizened with enough gold lace for three field marshals to leave us. He wants to write a prescription for my darling in English, proving he knows no Latin, and on it he misspelled brigade surgeon. He writes brigand surgeon. A brigand, he says. I'll warrant but that does not mean I must have him caring for my child. Madame, Dr. Stewart said patiently, I assure you, I am not uneducated. I've been caring for Mrs. Lincoln herself at the White House. Then, It is no wonder that lady is constantly in such a state of hysteria. 
Rose said. I want my family, physician Dr. Macmillan. He is one of the kindest and most chivalrous souls, a gentleman and a man of science. My daughter deserves no less. Sarah, if Shelton here cannot fill my request, I ask that you do so, please. Sarah looked at Shelton, who nodded yes to her, and she went downstairs to tell Sergeant Stevens at the front door to send immediately for Dr. Macmillan. When she went back inside, Dr. Stewart and Rose Greenhow were arguing. Sir, I command you to leave, Rose was yelling. Madame, my services have never been refused. Your child has camp measles and I can treat her malady with expertise. Out, Rose ordered. Never have I been so insulted. You are not a possession of your senses, madam. I shall write a report that you have an aberration of the mind. Your imprisonment has rendered you mad. I shall recommend you to an insane asylum. He was coming down the stairs, red with rage, as he said this. Immediately, Rose threw a book at him in spite of Sheldon's efforts to restrain her. It barely missed him. The doctor gazed up the staircase at her in amazement as he passed Sarah in the hallway, stopped for a moment. The woman is mad, he said. I must give a full report. Watching him go out the door, Sarah thought, we are all mad. Madness is the normal state of affairs in this house, and when Sheldon came down the stairs, he shook his head sadly. I'm sorry, Sarah, that you had to witness such. I'm sorry I involved you. He seemed most sincere, and Sarah's heart ached all the more for it. Later that evening, when Dr. Macmillan came, little Rose cried out so, insisting she would not let him look at her unless Sarah was in the room, that despite Sheldon's objections, Sarah stood beside the child, holding her hand the whole time. Dr. Macmillan had the same diagnosis, camp measles. Besides a prescription, he ordered her better food for both Rose and her daughter, more fruit and vegetables, and when the child was well again, fresh air and exercise. Sarah waited in the room with little Rose holding her hand, giving her water and telling her stories until the guard came back from Thompson's drugstore 
with the prescription. Only when the little girl went back to sleep did she leave, exhausted and careworn, to fall into bed and toss and turn all night in a feverish half-sleep. In the morning, when she awoke, her head was still heavy and aching, and she found that arranging her thoughts was difficult. Alternately, she was hot, then cold. A good breakfast was carried into the house by the guards. Sarah noticed it was much better than the ordinary cold oatmeal mush and tepid coffee. There were cobbled eggs, bacon, toast and a silver urn of hot chocolate. Sarah looked for Sheldon, realising what a habit it had become first thing in the morning. When she opened the front door to see his men drilling, Sergeant Stevens was in charge. Casually, she walked into the street. Where's Sheldon? She asked him. He has been called to the war department, miss. He left me in charge, said he'd be back in a day or two, left a message that you should take care of yourself and stay away from little Rose until she recovers, and that if you have an emergency, you should have one of us send word to him. Thank you. Sarah went back into the house, mounting the steps dizzily. With Sheldon gone, she would be expected to be alert and monitor everything that went on in the house. She hoped that she could get through the day. She found herself hoping too that he would be back sooner than promised, but she knew inside her bones that he wouldn't, that he might never be back and that it was all her fault. September 28, Fort Greenhouse, Washington. It was Saturday, her day off, but Sarah knew there would be no respite for her today with Sheldon away. She had managed to manoeuvre the last two days without going to pieces, physically or mentally. Now she read in a two-day-old edition of the Washington Star that September 26 had been designed by President Lincoln as a day of humiliation, prayer and fasting. Well, Sarah thought grimly, we've done our share of such in this house all along. With Rose Greenhow leading us in the humiliation department. Her sense of humour was getting black, but she decided that it fit the occasion. This day, Shelton was due back. Stevens had told her 
to expect him before noon. In spite of Sheldon's orders, she attended to Rose, visiting her in her room, making her bed up, airing out the old linens, and inquiring if she had any needs. It was her job. She decided she might hate Rose now for what had happened with Sheldon, but it was her job, just like shopping the hogs at home. The hogs, she decided, bedtimes had better manners than Rose, but she was determined to put forth her best effort as long as it was demanded of her. I'm ill myself, Rose told her. I feel no sap in me anymore. My child is sick. If I lose Rose, I shall die. Sarah had no sympathy for her, though. She did care about little Rose, but she must maintain a cheerful face lest Rose suspect her of anything. You'll not lose her, Sarah promised. Indeed, Rose did not look well. She was pale. There were dark circles under her beautiful eyes, and as she helped her into her dress, Sarah noted there was no more plumbness about her shoulders or arms. Her bones showed, and her skin, usually beautiful, had a sallow cast to it. Well, Sarah thought, why shouldn't she feel the effects of her imprisonment? The rest of us certainly do. She left the room and went downstairs to await Sheldon, if indeed he was coming back, if he hadn't already been placed under arrest. She was nervous and close to frantic, waiting. If he was under arrest, once again, she'd be responsible for bringing about a person's dolorous circumstances, and she did not know if she could bear it. She waited in the parlour and came in. Sheldon, is everything all right? He took off his cap, set aside his rifle. Why shouldn't it be, Sarah? I was worried about you. Were you now? Yes. Why should you be? You should know by now that I have excellent standing with my superiors and that I am called in every so often to give good account of what's going on here. His face was stoic, giving away nothing. What he did give away she saw in his eyes. The accusation, the sadness. I'm surprised at you, Sarah, he said. Don't you know that I have a sterling reputation as someone 
who has always acquitted himself well, that no matter what untoward thing happens, I always land on my feet. Sarah held her chin high, quick in her response. I didn't know anything untoward had happened, she said. Oh, then why the concern? I always worry when they take you away from us, Sheldon. She tried to walk the line between being discreet and cowering and found to her dismay there was no such line. She was, to her dismay, cowering. Actually, I was up against some sharp charges, he said in a confidential tone. As it turned out, someone turned me in for accepting notes from Rose. Not only that, he gave a short, bitter laugh for conspiring with her. The word conspiring is a polite one. It was explained to me for being discovered embracing her. Sarah tried to keep from blushing, but found it was something she had no power over. Of course, I was detained while my superiors explained that the charges had to be followed through as a matter of routine. I'm not the only member of the Sturges Rifles to be charged. Some of my men have been reported as taking bribes from Rose. He glanced at Sarah significantly, then went across the room to gaze out the window. Needless to say, all have been cleared. A darned nuisance, all of it. My superiors agreed. They even apologised when it was on report that I did take notes from her and smuggle them out of this house, right to the provost marshal's office. Notes that helped our cause considerably. As for my being in her arms, he turned, blushing himself somewhat now. It's part of the job, unpleasant as it is. My superiors know that. I did take notes from her and smuggle them out of the house, right to the provost marshal's office. Notes that helped our cause considerably. As for my being in her arms, he turned, blushing himself somewhat now. It's part of the job, unpleasant as it is. My superiors know that I did whatever my pre-bisterian conscience permitted to secure information from her in order to pass it on to the officials. It's just too bad that whoever saw us in that compromising situation did not understand it too. Relief flooded Sarah. She could feel it going from her head to her toes, draining her. 
and she could not help but admire his confidence, his bearing. It showed years of proper upbringing. He is truly from quality people, she decided. Oh, I'm so glad he is innocent. Oh, Sheldon, I'm happy for you. And she started toward him, but he held himself rigid, military style, and walked right by her to the hall, picking up his rifle and hat as he did so. Are you Sarah? Why? Because my name is cleared? Or because when you saw me in Rose's arms that other night, I was only doing my job? Sheldon, what are you saying? I don't think it has to be spelled out. Sarah, do you? He smiled at her, but in the old heart tearing, endearing smile she found only icy dismissal now. Not even to you, I asked you for your trust, if you'd given it. If you told me what you were about here, we could have worked together. Instead, you chose to suspect me. I'm hurt beyond belief, Sarah, and being in charge here, I think it is truly time you left this house. It was worse than a slap for Sarah, hearing him say such, worse than any blow she'd received from her father, worse than being made to kneel beside the table while he ate, for not doing her chores right, and the blow made her physically real. She felt the floor tilt beneath her, no, the whole world was tilting, and she ran from the room even while the walls were closing in, because, no matter what, she did not want to faint at Sheldon's feet. Sadly, all good things must come to an end, so I bid you good night, sleep tight, and don't let the bed bugs bite.